More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, hour number two, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we roll through a holiday week edition Monday show. We are joined now by Dr. Scott Atlas. He is a senior fellow in health policy at Stanford University's Hoover Institution former advisor on COVID to the president and author of the new book, A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight to Stop COVID from Destroying America. Dr. Atlas, appreciate the time that you are spending with us. Let's dive right into it. How much of a disaster has Dr. Fauci been for America in terms of the advice that he has given over the last 18 months based on your experience? Well, thanks for having me. You know, I think this is something people have to understand that they have to be critical thinkers about what is said, because the advice from the doctors on the task force to six months before I got there, the three and a half months I was there and following that has been inconsistent, erratic, anti-science, contrary to the science, and they simply lack critical thinking. Now, the head of the task force actually was Dr. Burks, who was the medical uh, task force coordinator who divide, wrote all the policy advice to the states. She, she visited dozens of states. She spoke to all the local health officials. Dr. Fauci was not in charge, but he was the most influential figure on the media to the American public. And what I saw in the task force was shocking, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because we have to be aware that we can never let these kinds of people uh, be in charge again. There were not critical thinkers. They've both been in government bureaucrat positions for 40 years. I came in as a health policy scholar, 15 years of health policy work, and 25 years of medical uh, science research, clinical work in some of the best medical uh, centers. And so what I would do to the meetings, I would bring in a dozen, 20 different scientific publications, data from all over the world. And I would go through the data when I was asked my opinion. Their approach was something very different. Their approach was simply saying, I'm an outlier. 
or saying that, you know, most people agree that we should be doing lockdowns. So, of course, their position, their policy was lockdowns, restrictions, closed schools, closed businesses, curfews, quarantines. And this was the policy during the entire year that was implemented by almost every governor. I visited only one state during my three and a half times there, and that was Florida, who did something very differently. And so, you know, we have a problem here because we have bureaucrats who were not critical thinkers. They never cited the data. They never refuted anything I said with the data. And what's more, they never disagreed with each other. They had a pact that Burks revealed later, which was if one of them was fired, they would all just quit, which is not exactly the attitude of people trying to help the country, in my opinion. And secondly, I'll give you another anecdote here. Um, you know, I, I arranged, I wanted to make sure that the president had the most information possible from the experts of the world, of the country. So I arranged a meeting. I brought in people from Harvard, Stanford, Tufts University, UCLA. These were the medical scientists who were doing the research on the pandemic, and they were there to answer the president's questions. Dr. Birx was asked to come to the meeting. She refused. And in fact, that almost scuttled the entire meeting. And then she complained to the media that there were, quote, parallel streams of data, unquote, being given to the president that she didn't know about, as if she's supposed to be the funnel. So this is the attitude of a bureaucrat, in my opinion. And my role had nothing to do with, uh, you know, politics or anything else. I was there for one reason, because the country was off the rails. People were dying. The lockdowns were implemented. They failed to stop the spread of the infection. They failed to stop the dying. And they destroyed and inflicted a tremendous amount of harm and on families and children, particularly at the lower income. The lockdowns were a luxury of the rich. And they were being instilled and implemented without knowing the data and without thinking through uh, what was important. Dr. Atlas, it's Buck. You know, we just got more information the last few days, or should say more pronouncements in from Fauci and the rest about boosters. We now are being told boosters are open to all adults. They're going to want to get boosters, I'm sure, soon for kids approved. And it seems like only a matter of time before they try to make the boosters mandatory fauci said we're hoping that this booster will last longer than the vaccine and give better protection do they have any actual data or 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 proof that that is something that is likely to happen because it seems to some of us like they just don't want to tell us yet you're going to have to get the shot every six months every whatever it is they come up with on the schedule yeah, I mean, here's the problem is that their actions have and, and their lack of transparency, frankly, have been harmful to the acceptance of, of the vaccine by people who actually would benefit from the vaccine. I mean, here, here the data is the vaccines are protective against death and that that protection seems to last at least so far, except there is some data from Sweden that says it wanes. The protection against death wanes for people who are over 80. Okay, so if you're high risk, you know, it makes sense you should be taking the vaccine, high risk from COVID. If that means elderly with multiple comorbidities or young people who have these same comorbidities, that makes sense. But to say that, uh, you know, you need a booster, well, I mean, there are people who should think about getting the booster, the high risk people, because the protection against infection after vaccinated sort of goes down tremendously really after three to six months. So if you're high risk, uh, you, you know, you, you, you really should think about getting the booster. But to say that 
children who have a very healthy children have an extremely low risk from this disease. I mean, this is proven. This was known a year and a half ago uh, when I said it. It's been proven. It's consistent. And so to say that uh, a child must get a vaccine for a disease they have extremely low risk for healthy children and then in the vaccine where the technology is new. Okay, this technology has never been used before, an mRNA vaccine. We've only had it for not even a year. Most vaccines take five to 10 years to make sure we have safety and efficacy data. Okay, so then to say, oh, we should start getting boosters. Okay, I mean, it's fine that they're available, but you have to realize everyone should realize that the vaccine booster data, the safety has only been evaluated for like 30-day periods in Israel. 30 days is not a safety evaluation. And to say you need a booster, uh, if you're protected against dying, that's, that's what's important here. Now, high-risk people, okay, but, uh, you know, people have to start thinking. Here's what's happened, if, if I may. The trust in experts has gone. Okay, it's diminished, and that's, that's appropriate that it's gone because they've destroyed it. They've issued, they've not looked at the data, these so-called experts. They've issued edicts and mandates and things that were anti-science. They denied the impact of natural immunity after recovery. We're the only country in the world that does not allow for that. We, we make believe somehow the experts here that protection does not come after being infected. That's just, that's just anti-science. That's, denying basic immunology and the data on this virus. And so when they start doing these sorts of things, people have to realize, okay, we need to be critical thinkers ourselves for our, ourselves and our families. We need to find a doctor who's rational. And if we don't have a doctor who's a critical thinker, we need a new doctor. And we need to start analyzing and trusting people who are being consistent, who speak from the data, and who do not, do not have an ulterior motive. When you look at people, and I'm, just, I'm going to put it this way, who have been in government bureaucrat jobs for 40 years, that's not because they're politically neutral. It's because they are political themselves. It's because they know how to navigate the system to make friends in the media, to make friends in the agencies. When somebody like me came in, I had no interest. I, I, frankly, I wasn't there to make friends. I had no secondary gain. I wasn't in, getting a second position later on. I was there to stop people from dying and to add critical thinking. So I think at this point, we, American people, have to have the sense to look through the stuff ourselves, to find people who we trust, because we cannot just assume that the people in the CDC or in leadership positions in our country are really going by the data. I mean, we know this, not just in the vaccines. We look at the masks. We look at the studies that they ignore and just, you know, I mean, the whole thing is still off the rails, unfortunately. Talking to Dr. Scott Atlas, he's the senior fellow in health policy at Stanford's Hoover Institution, also has a new book out. Encourage you to check it out. A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight to Stop COVID from Destroying America. Uh, Dr. Atlas much of the red states, it appears, have basically gotten back to normalcy. I live in Tennessee. I'm down in Florida right now. I've been all over the South during football season. People are basically back to normal. You wouldn't really know that COVID existed but for airplane travel. When are the rest of the states in this country? You're out in California. It's madness still there. Buck is in New York. How do we land the proverbial plane and get back to normalcy in your mind What's that time frame? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question, because what, what I say when I'm asked, when will the CDC say this? When will Dr. Fauci uh, say this? The answer is never. You must assume it's never. There is no indication that the people in power in these states or at the national level are going to start sudden, suddenly obeying the data or looking at the data. So this is an individual thing, in my view. I've been shocked by two things. Uh, the number one shock, the first shock, was how the power of the government could be imposed upon Americans to restrict businesses, to restrict personal movement, to do all these things, to require all of these things. But the most, bigger surprise was the acquiescence of the American people. Okay, we, we, I think all of us are stunned. Where are the independent thinkers in the country, the independent New Yorkers? Okay, where are the Western people who are just always been uh, valuing independent thought? We see protests going on in Europe by the thousands about these mandates, about these requirements, about these lockdowns. That's not been a feature in the United States. Uh, this is this is surprising to me. Now, uh, you're right. The, the the states in Florida. I mean, I, again, like I, I I was advisor, one of the advisors to Governor DeSantis since last spring. Uh, you know, he looked at the data, and people moved to Florida. The response was overwhelmingly positive because people want to live normal lives. So over a hundred percent, a hundred percent of people over sixty five are vaccinated in Florida as they are in 20 states now at this point. They've had at least one dose, which means they'll get the second dose. That's 100% in 20 states. Once you've protected the high-risk people from dying, you know, people should start thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, the point is to live your life. The point is not to be in fear of a single virus and shut down society on the basis of that bizarre uh, focus the public health leadership in this country has been immoral, and they've abandoned what their basic responsibility was, which was to consider all health. They've never talked about the damage from the lockdowns, and those damages were tremendous, particularly on our children. But the answer to the question is, the end is when people decide that's the end. That's the only way this will end, in my opinion. Dr. Atlas, fantastic. We appreciate you, encourage you to check out the book, uh, and we look forward to talking to you again down the line somewhere in the future. Thanks for having me. Got to tell you, as we roll into the break here, the Salvation Army is dedicated to doing the most good by meeting human needs wherever, whenever, and however they can. Every year, they help more than 30 million Americans in poverty battle daily challenges, and you can help ensure that hope marches on this holiday season. Right now, millions of people are facing decisions that could mean the difference between their family having a home or facing homelessness. Pay the mortgage, purchase groceries. With job and income loss because of our COVID response, more and more American families are finding themselves unable to pay bills and keep food on the table. Every year, Salvation Army serves more than 30 million people in the U.S. by providing food, shelter, and financial assistance to people in need. We need you to help with that cause. Right now, you can make sure hope marches on this Christmas season by dialing pound 250 on your phone and saying Salvation Army. You'll have the opportunity to receive a one-time auto-dialed text message that links to a donation form Right now, dial 250 on your phone and say Salvation Army and help 30 million people. 
in need in this country. That's pound 250, say Salvation Army. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my from this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Today, here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture, culture. and a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got an update for you on the alleged mass murderer here. I'm already seeing people in the media write about this as though it's a, a tragedy like a tornado went through Waukesha. It was a... Mass murder by vehicle incident, five dead, dozens grievously wounded. And unless something, you know, you know, unless something crazy happens, they've got the guy in custody and know who it is. So I, I think we know the situation with regard to that. We don't know the motivation quite yet. But here's an interesting bit of news that just broke in the last 30 minutes or so and is now getting much more attention uh, Daryl Brooks, 39, he's the driver of that red Ford SUV that was plowing through and murdering people on Sunday in in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, at the Christmas uh, at the Christmas parade. He was out on bail, which I had mentioned earlier in the show. He was out on bail from November 19th. He'd been out for two days. But the news update, he only had to post a thousand dollars cash bond. The news update is that the charges That put him in that position. Why was he out on bail? What was the crime he was accused of? Running over 
the mother of one of his children. According to the Daily Mail here, he is said to have hunted her down in a hotel, followed her in the street in his car, demanded that she get in, punched her with a closed fist, and then ran her over with his vehicle. Now, Clay... They want us to believe that this individual, Mr. Daryl Brooks, who was a violent, long-standing criminal, was just trying to escape something and so ran through all these people. And the very crime that he was out on bail for 48 hours from involved the usage of his car as a weapon against a defenseless person. That's where we are right now. Well, and the question that is going to become more and more paramount, if you look at So many of these crimes that are being committed right now in the United States as we are having an unbelievable, massive, without precedent increase, for instance, in murders all over this country. Why in the world, if you try and run somebody over in a car, can you post a thousand dollars bail and be back out on the street? It's one thing if you're getting arrested because you have a broken taillight and you haven't paid your traffic fines, nonviolent offenses, I can understand the idea of having low rates of bail and allowing people back out into the streets. But this is an incredible failure by our justice system that we are allowing people who are accused of incredibly violent crimes right back out onto the street with almost no dollars required, Buck. It's happened all over the country. It's not an accident, right? This has been an active decision made by the Democrat Party with its criminal justice reform mantra and George Soros backing far-left prosecutors in places like San Fran and Chicago. We've got more on that here coming up in a few minutes. Uh, What you have to call theft mobs running around now. No doubt. And also the latest on Rittenhouse speaking out. We've got some audio from him denying any sort of claims that were made about him over the years by all of these idiots in the media. But first, worst terror attacks to ever take place on our soil 20 years ago, 9-11. 2,979 people lost their lives. Brave Americans responded thanks to so many of us. Tunnel to Towers has been honoring those men and women who gave everything by reading their names aloud for the first time ever in a new annual ceremony on Veterans Day. They did it at the Lincoln Memorial this month. Tunnel to Towers, making sure all of their sacrifices are never forgotten. And right now, the season of hope running from this Thursday on Thanksgiving to New Year's Eve, one mortgage-free home at least a day given away for 37 days straight to honor America's heroes. Do good in their honor. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show. Hope all of you are having a great Monday holiday week beginning. I know a lot of you will be traveling. Maybe you already have started your travels Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to be with friends and family for the holiday. Encourage you to download the podcast. You can search out my name, Clay Travis. You can search out Buck Sexton. Help us set an all-time record in November for the number of podcast downloads for this show. We appreciate all of you diving in and supporting us there. Tonight on Tucker Carlson, we will hear from Kyle Rittenhouse a full sit-down interview explaining much of his thoughts that you haven't already heard from his testimony during the trial. 
And here is a cut that they have released from that interview with uh, Tucker Carlson. Let's play cut two. Of course, Kyle Rittenhouse immediately argued by massive amounts of the media, oh, this is a white supremacist, this is a racist act. Tucker asked him directly about his affiliation with the idea of white supremacy. Here was Kyle Rittenhouse's answer. I tell everybody there what happened. I said I had to do it. I, just, I was just attacked. I was dizzy. I was vomiting. I, I couldn't breathe. This case has nothing to do with race. Um, it never had anything to do with race. It had to do with the right to self-defense. Um, I'm not a racist person. I support the BLM movement. I support peacefully demonstrating. And I believe there needs to be change. I believe there's a lot of prosecutorial misconduct, not just in my case, but in other cases. And it's just amazing to see how much a prosecutor can take advantage of somebody. They were trying to feed Kyle to the mob, Clay. That's yes. what this was really all about from the beginning. You even had, remember, I said uh, almost a month ago now on this show, they never should have even brought charges. You agreed. They never should have even brought charges against Kyle Rittenhouse. Chris Christie, for whatever that's worth, he was a federal prosecutor. I know people have very intense views on Chris Christie one way or the other. He said over the weekend they never should have even charged this individual based on the facts, based on the f- and that they had video which I also believe very strongly, if there was no video, he he may very well have been found guilty, not because he did anything wrong, but because the narrative was so powerful and people were so set in believing certain things that absent video, it might have been hard to convince that jury otherwise. But I mean, let's just let's let's look at this a little bit, because they're still saying he's racist and a white supremacist. You of even course. played a clip in the first hour. They're still they're still claiming this about him. Would Kyle Rittenhouse have gone to Kenosha? If it had been entirely an Antifa, you know, radical anarchist burning down of Kenosha that was going on that had nothing to do with BLM. I believe the answer is very clearly yes. He wanted to stop a community from being destroyed. That was his rationale for it, because the only place where they claim now, obviously shooting three white guys, it's hard to make a white guy shooting three white guys. It's hard to make the claim that's racist. They do it. But no intelligent person believes this. So then it's the motivation for being right. It went from the he crossed state lines. A lot of people freaked out about that. I mean, I cross state lines into Connecticut and New Jersey on a regular basis. Not a big deal. Um, they Now the whole thing as well, his motivation for being in Kenosha was somehow racist because of the connection to the Blake incident and uh, Jacob Blake and BLM more broadly in the background of all this. And I just think that also has that, that's not if you listen to Rittenhouse, he says he's supportive of BLM. Yes. As a movement. And even beyond that, this is a kid who wanted to stop a neighborhood from being uh, destroyed or stop a city from being destroyed. And I think from what we've seen of him, there's every reason to believe he would have wanted to do that regardless of what the background left wing or any wing political narrative was. He just didn't want to see a town burn. Buck, the story here, we, we hit on this early. The people who are angry at Kyle Rittenhouse are angry because he was there in the first place. That's their story, because they keep saying inaccurately he crossed state lines with a gun. He didn't do that. The gun was in Wisconsin. And if you look, the the amount of blue checkmark brigade members out there that can't even bother to get basic facts correct in their takes is evidence of how little they pay attention to the real facts and how much they embrace the narrative version of the facts. Because, 
look, I've said before, you said this, I wouldn't want my 17-year-old son to have been there, period. I wouldn't have wanted protesting for BLM. I wouldn't have wanted him trying to protect small businesses because it was a chaotic, messy, ugly situation. But that's not the case. The case is, did Kyle Rittenhouse on that night fear for his safety, potentially his life, and exercise self-defense as a result? The answer is yes. The case is not about why he was there. The case is about once he was there, did he have a self-defense? And he did. And, and why are all these rioters there? I mean, built into all of this is an expectation on the left that there was something righteous behind the destruction of Kenosha on behalf of BLM. Like, they're somehow okay. They're allowed to burn things down and terrorize people and break a senior citizen's jaw because he didn't want his store to get burned to the ground. They did that, right? Didn't hear a lot of reporting about it, but those are the kind of things that are going on. But people were angry. And the left, as we know, in June of 2020, was having a giant temper tantrum in the middle of a pandemic, mind you, because of Trump, because of BLM. They were just having this spasm of rage unleashed onto American cities across the country. And they ultimately believe that there's something righteous in that. Of course, you and I reject that. This audience rejects that. It's insane. But as to the point about Rittenhouse and whether he him being there as a question of uh, it's not a question of honor. It's a question of the wisdom and safety of being there, in my opinion. Meaning, this is why I'm I, thinking of it from a parent I, perspective. I right. I respect why Kyle Rittenhouse wanted to be there and what he was doing, and I think it was brave to be there and do what he did. I though would be very cautious in counseling somebody who was thinking about doing that because let's just remember, Kyle does what he did. There's no video. There just happened to be no video that was clear of the incident. That young man probably goes to prison for the rest of his life, or at least for a few decades, which is pretty close to the same thing. So that's what I mean. You cannot trust the system. You can't trust the district attorney, this guy uh, Chisholm uh, out of Milwaukee. You can't trust these people in the state. I'm not even talking about the rioters. I'm not. You can't trust the state to do the right thing. They essentially abandoned Kenosha to this... It was like a sacrifice to the rage of the left. They should have had National Guard out there tear gassing and arresting and taking care of business. Oh, no, not in Kenosha. They did it all over the country. They abandoned any sort of law and order. And that's why my point is, regardless of what your political leanings were as a parent, I don't want my kids out protesting. I don't want my kids out responding to the protesters. I don't think it's safe, period, because the state abrogated its responsibility to protect business, to protect citizens, and to protect the city. And that is the fundamental failure. That void of leadership is what we had injured. And I just want to mention this too, Buck. There still, to my knowledge, has been no suggestion that the Blake story had anything to do with race. There's nothing to suggest that Rittenhouse had anything to do with race. There's nothing to suggest that George Floyd and Chauvin had anything to do with race other than the fact that their identities are their races. There hasn't been any suggestion that all of these stories that divided and destroyed us in the summer of 2020 were directly related to race. To my knowledge, there's zero tangible evidence of that. That is narrative one more time over fact. There also seems to be a left-wing movement away from law and order that we've all been suffering through, and you see some of the results of it with these, uh, with these essentially theft riots or whatever. You know, they're they're really essentially a a theft mob that gathers together, 
And there's more of this that happened over the weekend. We'll tell you some of the details. We come back because it's so brazen. It is true lawlessness, and it undermines our sense of living in a civil society where law and order counts. And Democrats have been pushing it all along. How about making a Black Friday purchase on the Monday before? Pure Talk Cellular has iPhone 12s for less than $500, just $479. That price defines everything Pure Talk is about, giving you a lower price on something of high quality like their everyday cell service. Switching to Pure Talk to Verizon, or switching to Pure Talk from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile will save you $50 or $6 or $60 a month, as much as $800 per year on a family plan. And Pure Talk offers that while being on the exact same 5G network using the same towers as one of those big carriers. And switching is so easy. Clay, how do folks do it? It's simple. It's an incredible offer. Unlimited talk, text, six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. All you have to do, it's 30-day risk-free guarantee. My own son is on this policy and on this network. You are going to love it. All you have to do is get your cell phones right now and dial pound 250 and say Pure Talk, and you'll save 50% off your first month and... You can save on a new phone as well. Again, pound 250, say Pure Talk, boom, zero risk, 30 days, nothing to lose. Some restrictions apply. Pound 250, say Pure Talk, call for details today. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my from this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television Today, here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture, and a little bit of Rappaport's reality the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. 
Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. What happens when the people that are supposed to enforce the law decide that the law is problematic for them? That social justice is more important than actual justice, and that criminals should get away with things. Welcome back to the Clay and Buck Show. We've seen for a long time now the rise in violent crime across the country. We've seen that murders, uh, shootings have skyrocketed. I mean, the one of the ones that is the most mind-blowing to me, and it's they're way up in Houston, they're way up in New York, they're way up in every major, and all Democrat-controlled, major city by population really in the country, Portland had a thousand shootings over the last year, a thousand in a city that's not that big by population, by far the most it's ever had. One thing that we're seeing is that when you undermine cops and when you put prosecutors in place who are supposed to be deterring crime and they decide that, well, that doesn't seem like a social justice mission that they really want to take on. Bad things happen. Case in point. And this is also at a moment where we're looking at the at the incident involving uh, Daryl Brooks here, and we're looking at this individual and we're understanding that he was let out just two days after being arrested for a crime of trying to run over with his car the mother of his children. Meanwhile, you have people, you've got, you know, grannies who are waving a flag inside the Capitol in solitary confinement for, you know, eight months on end because they're such a danger to the public. And in the in the uh, you know the D.C. holding cells endlessly, and Clay over the weekend alone, just the last few days, you have what, what I think you have to call now theft mobs because this is not one or two people. This is ten, fifteen, twenty, perhaps thirty or more people at a time pulling up in cars, running into a high end retail establishment, grabbing everything in sight, and running out with it. They did this. In San Francisco over the weekend at Union Square, very famous, well-known place, the Louis Vuitton store there. They did this in Chicago at a Louis Vuitton store. Over $100,000 of merchandise stolen. Do you think any of the people caught, Clay, are going to serve really severe sentences? Doubtful. Not, Buck. And actually, one of our listeners sent me a video. He was staying in Union Square. For people who don't know San Francisco well, historically, Buck, Union Square is like I mean, there's a Louis Vuitton there, for God's sakes. I mean, this is a super high-end area. Because we've been talking in San Francisco about, I believe it was Walgreens, that has effectively said, hey, we've got so much thievery that is going on that they're shutting down five Walgreens. And the impact here is substantial because those are jobs in lower-income areas that are important to so many people in those communities. And they're basically saying, hey, we can't run these stores anymore. But Union Square is... The heart of San Francisco, a high-end shopping district, and they're just showing up and running roughshod through a Louis Vuitton with no expectation that there's going to be any law enforcement at all. And there are people, this is going to be fascinating to watch, because they're trying to recall Chesa Boudin right now in San Francisco, who has made all of this possible by effectively saying, hey, we're not going to do any sort of criminal enforcement anymore. The rule is if you steal less than $950, the police won't make an arrest. That's the rule, Clay, by Chesa Boudin. It is madness, Buck. And even in San Francisco, and this is why I know that things are changing substantially. 
I've got a lot of friends who live out in San Francisco. We don't agree on a lot of political-related issues. They've started listening to the show, Buck. You were talking about one of your buddies in New York who's not necessarily like uh, a conservative radio listener, but they're getting so fed up with quality-of-life-related issues and with this sort of crazy propaganda media world that we live in where they start to get told things that they see with their own eyes are not true. There's a demand for honesty. I got to tell you, another group, just same way that I have a friend who's a corporate lawyer and lifelong Democrat who says he loves us for holding Fauci accountable, a guy I've known a very long time in my life and a huge fan of the show. I have prosecutors and I get, I mean, I'm the one who's pointing out, for example, that Chisholm, the district attorney in Milwaukee, who let out Brooks, the guy that just ran down, murdered all these people with his car, that's the same district attorney, everybody, uh, who ran the John Doe case against Scott Walker years ago. He abused this secret investigative tactic to try to go after the Walker campaign. I interviewed somebody that they were trying to throw in prison for seven years for crimes like using her cell phone inside instead of outside a building for campaign business. Chisholm is an absolute political hatchet man, a Democrat left winger, of course, and he's the guy in Milwaukee. Jesse Boudin, these other guys, I'm just pointing out uh, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. My people that I know who are prosecutors reach out. They're like, thank you for trashing these awful prosecutors who undermine what it is we're trying to do, which is enforce the law and make everybody safer. No one is safer because prosecutors feel sanctimonious and self-righteous for letting criminals go. And that's what major cities, including New York, including San Francisco, I'm sure it's happening in Houston, too. That's what's going on. There's no doubt. And, and Buck, what this all represents is being concerned with over-punishing criminals is a luxury of low crime, right? Cyclically, when people start to say, hey, maybe we're putting people in jail for too long, it's because the crime rate has gotten so low that it is a luxury to be concerned that you are over-punishing criminals. Back in the 90s, and I think that's where we're headed all over again, Three strikes and you're out. Remember, Joe Biden helped to pass that. The reality is putting hardened criminals behind bars for a long time does work, and it drives down, particularly in violent crime incidents, drives down the over, overall rate of crime in this country. But everybody in Milwaukee who is looking at what just happened in Waukesha is saying, how in the world did this violent criminal have the ability to be on the streets and murder in cold blood, at least five people wound 40 people driving through a Christmas parade. We are failing at protecting our communities when that guy was allowed back on the streets for a small amount of bail. Total failure of the criminal justice system. We should have major updates for you momentarily based on police doing a press conference on what happened in Waukesha. The police update is expected momentarily, so we'll know a whole lot more about what is clearly a mass murder, mass casualty incident in Wisconsin. We'll bring you more on that, plus the fight against COVID. That's all coming up. Stay with us. You're listening to Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the EIB Network.
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 